annual Burning Man Festival. 70,000, in fact, were trapped inside the desert after rain left them stuck in thick mud and they couldn't leave. You can see now the cars and bumper-to-bumper traffic now that the roads are finally clear and dry enough to drive. Photos and videos of the festival going viral over the weekend after more than a half of inch of rain fell on Friday. We wish them safe travels. And we wish you a very safe holiday. I'm Elizabeth Pran in today for Nicole Burley. Here's a look at our primetime lineup. But first, The Hill starts right now. And while many of us are enjoying these last few hours of the long Labor Day weekend, if you're running for president, this is prime time to campaign as GOP candidates are using the unofficial end of summer holiday to work the crowds and drum up support. This as President Biden was in Philadelphia earlier today, talking up his pro-union credentials, even as a strike by one of the country's biggest unions, the United Auto Workers, could come in just 10 days. His visit in Philly comes after another trip Biden made over the weekend, where he got a major snub from one of his 2024 political rivals, Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor refusing to meet with the president. Instead, Florida Senator Rick Scott stepped in to help Biden survey the damage left behind from Hurricane Adalia while Biden was visiting the Sunshine State. But in the world of campaign optics, is a presidential snub the right look? Plus, it's 5 o'clock here on the East Coast, but for the Margaritaville legend Jimmy Buffett, who passed away over the weekend, it was always 5 o'clock somewhere. We pay tribute to the musical icon. The Hill on News Nation starts now. Hello, and thanks for being with us this Labor Day. I'm Mike Vicara, and I am joined today with a great panel, Scott Bolden, the former D.C. Democratic Party chairman, and he's currently a legal analyst. Carrie Sheffield, a conservative commentator. Mick Mulvaney, welcome back, Mick, former acting chief of staff with the Trump administration and News Nation political and economic contributor. And Johanna Masca, former Obama official and News Nation contributor. Okay, guys, before we talk politics, I want to get your opinion on the tens of thousands of partygoers still stranded at the Burning Man Festival out in the middle of the northern Nevada desert. It's a late summer storm that turned the desert to a mud pit, wreaking havoc on the annual counterculture festival. Earlier today, event organizers said it was still too wet for a safe mass departure of vehicles through that quagmire. Look at that. But they hope the traffic will get get going later today. Okay, show of hands, maybe. Who's been to Burning Man? And if you have, why? I'm good not going. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would be running out uh, of there. Yeah. I, have, I, have I don't think you can run. You do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, there's a libertarian strain, so I know a lot of friends who've gone. A they, libertarian they, strain? Well, it kind of started in L.A., as I understand. I'm sorry, in San, San Francisco. Francisco right. and, then it, and then they moved it to the desert, I think, for zoning reasons. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the ethos of burning I think it's because the they couldn't have a giant fire on the beach anymore in yes. San Francisco. <laughs> I hope they have a lot of liquor. And I don't know what they're doing about food or relieving themselves. I think they made accommodations. I mean, there's 70,000 oh, 70, people here. It's like, it's really gross. <laughs> residents actually hate this event, uh, that it comes to their... I like, thought there were nothing but no, jackrabbits and rattlesnakes out that's there. That's not true. Outside yeah. of Reno, there are people outside of Reno, and they don't really like Burning Man. So it's kind of like the tech bros gone mad yet again. Yeah, according I, to the Wall Street Journal, it's getting older. Uh, average age is now 37 and wealthier. Attendees are mostly white. Uh, 
it's an influx of wealthy attendees lately. Some have uh, brought in chefs and air conditioning. So, so much for running wild. The majority of people are still sticking to the original. It's, it's, it's all for the Instagram photos. Uh, yes. oh, yeah. But yeah. no, this is the problem, right? Is that they've decided they're going to create something outside of the normal. And yeah. then when things go wrong, they call the U.S. government. I understand that right now the National Reserve is not being called. But at some point, when things get real... The federal government. Yeah, a wise person. A wise a person once said, "Every idea starts out as a cause, becomes a business, and ends up as a." All right, Labor Day is here. Summer is over, and now the campaigns are kicking into high gear. Republican candidates Mike Pence and Vivek Ramaswamy hit the campaign trail this afternoon in New Hampshire with the second presidential debate now just weeks away. Now there is new evidence that the front runner. Former President Trump is getting even stronger, widening his already commanding lead in the race. So where does that leave the rest of the GOP field? Our Kelly Meyer is here to take a closer look. Kelly. Hey there, Vic. Well, candidates are flocking to the first in the nation primary state this Labor Day. The holiday tends to shift the presidential race into full gear. Today, as you said, the candidates from Vivek Ramaswamy to former Vice President Mike Pence were walking in parades. They're also meeting with Republican voters at the annual Labor Day picnic. Asa Hutchinson is also there. Uh, other contenders are vying for that spot as the potential top challenger, former President Donald Trump, uh, is still taking the lead. He's dominating the field as the national frontrunner with 59 percent of Republicans. The other contenders, though, hoping there's a lane for them to compete to make this a two-person race with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis dropping in the latest national post-debate poll Trump's lead over his top rival has doubled since April. DeSantis now at 13 percent. You can see there Haley at 8 percent, Ramaswamy at 5 percent, Christie with three and Pence at two. Now, support for Trump growing as he faces four criminal prosecutions. The poll showing almost half of GOP primary voters say the indictments fueled their support for him. That's something I've been hearing from voters on the campaign trail. But that's not true for all voters. It may hurt him with independent voters if Trump is the nominee. And we're also hearing that Trump is set to return to Iowa this weekend, News Nation confirming that will be for the first time since we saw him at the Iowa State Fair. Vic. Okay, Kelly Meyer, thank you very much for that reporting. Let's turn back to the panel right now to see where the GOP race stands. All right. The man has a superpower. Eight years on or seven years on, let's just admit it, the, you know, the worst things under conventional wisdoms and metrics, indictments, four indictments, Mugshots. It's not. This makes him stronger. It's not conventional, and the it, and no one's moving that much, quite frankly. And it raises the question. Well, Donald Trump's moving. He's moving. Well, up. he's moving up, but the other candidates or wannabes or the Donald Trumpettes, as I say, they're not making any progress whatsoever. And they've got to change up after Labor Day. They've got to do something to either go through him, around him, because it leaves you with this thought that either they're waiting for him to get out of the race for some reason because of the criminal indictments or the, or the 91 felonies, or they're vying for number two, because that's all you can be left with because those other candidates aren't moving. Okay. What, he said something needs to be done. What can be done? Well, I think the most, speaking of movement, the most interesting movement out of all these candidates, I think, is Vivek Ramaswamy. He came out of nowhere, and look at him. Boom, boom, he's above establishment. He's at 5%, uh, He's at 7%, and he's, he's, he's number two in New Hampshire. <laughs> Who's 7%? So, the real, yeah, real, but, real, but real clear politics average at 7%. Well, there it is, right there. Yeah, right there. When, yeah, when, you're, com when you're coming from zero, and you, that's, I mean, that's, that's a massive, and you're, you're ahead of Nikki Haley, you're ahead of Mike Pence, you're ahead of former governors, current senator, former uh, U.S. ambassador, and senator. I mean, that, that's 
that, that's a, a very impressive in my view. Nick, I, I want to put up a, I want to put up a graphic and ask you about it. Republican primary voters on Donald Trump, seventy eight percent. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. Seventy eight percent after his actions were uh, after twenty twenty uh, believe that his actions after twenty twenty were legitimate efforts to ensure an accurate vote. So if seventy eight percent of primary voters believe that, what can the I mean? Listen, the I, man's I, bulletproof. I, I, I think you may be right. Uh, I, I never thought I'd see him at 59% or 62. I've okay. seen him in the low 60s and stuff. I thought his ceiling was 35 or 40%. A lot of folks did. This really does mean it's not a, it's not a two-person race. If he was at 35% and up by 20 points, that's a different story. He's at 59% yeah. and up by 40 points. That, that's, that's something else entirely. It is a one-person race, and I really do think that Scott may be right. This is a race for second place at this point. Uh-huh. So you've got to ask yourself, who... And that next tier down would be willing to be Scott to, to be uh, to be Donald Trump. Is, is it time for the Biden administration Biden to start thinking about this as a, a, a dead cinch law? He's, he's going to run he's against. He's thinking about it as Trump, but the, but I wouldn't. I would advise him actually to know that no one has voted yet. You know, this is the problem, right, is when you're in Iowa and you're in New Hampshire and you've had only one debate, you know that this race is not over. And so for all of us to sit up here and say that it's still over, we've got to have the voters decide. We were talking before. I thought, Nikki Haley, if you guys are trying to find win you guys. that... She means Republicans. Oh, Republicans. If Republicans want to win this election, there is a key constituency that moves, right? Women who are, when they listen to Nikki Haley, she was telling the truth. This weekend on the, on the Sunday show, she continued to tell the truth. It's not just the Republicans or the Democrats that have gotten us into this. The Democrats yeah. and the Republicans got us into this. She also, you know, is going out and saying the things that most people are thinking. Meanwhile, you've got the truth bear falling on Vivek okay. because he's a little uh, far away from yeah, the truth. Yeah. doesn't seem to be resonating with a, with a primary yeah. elector that looks like that. All right. A new poll from the Wall Bad. Street Journal finds President Biden in a dead heat with former President Trump in a possible rematch with both candidates polling at 46 percent. President Biden was in Philadelphia today speaking with union workers where he previewed his reelection pitch. Well, we're getting through this one of the greatest job creation periods in American history. For real, that's a fact. The guy who held this job before me was just one of two presidents in history. He was one of, but here's an important point, one of two presidents in history that left office with fewer jobs in America than when he got elected office. All right, we can talk about the strength of the economy and whether Bidenomics is a real thing. By the numbers, Mick and I were just talking about this before the show, it appears that the economy is not in that bad shape. People are buy- aren't buying it. We'll get to that a little bit later. But is it disingenuous, Kerry, for President Biden, given the fact that the pandemic happened and jobs fell off the table and recovered as a natural consequence, for him to say that that criticism of President Trump for losing all those jobs? Oh, absolutely. And people know it's disingenuous. That's why the approval rating for the president is so low, and especially on the economy. You have more than half of people who have reported to CNBC uh, that they are dipping into their savings to pay for staples like food and rent. That's shocking. That's why so many people disapprove of what's happening. You have the possible strike with the auto workers. That's because of the electric vehicle mandates by Joe Biden that is going to kill the economy. All right, we're going to get to that later, Mick. Who is he talking to? 
who is going to get? Who is he going to move with that message? Right. Yeah. Either people are going to vote for him and they like him, or they don't like Donald Trump. They're going to vote against him. There's nobody out there going, you know what? I was iffy on Donald Trump, but you know, since he didn't create that many jobs, <laughs> right. which is right. not yeah. right, by the way. But you yeah. know, it, it, now I'm going to be for Biden. That doesn't. I'm not I mean, but the other half of this, and you know as well as I, or better than I, that is motivating Democrats, right? To give them something to go to the polls for, to open their wallets for. But they already don't like Donald Trump. That's what I understand. Why not uh-huh. just go out and say what a great job you've done? If you beat up on Donald Trump, I don't know. How how you move the okay, needle. here's one other thing yeah, that the president uh-huh. is fighting. Hold on, and that is okay. our favorite topic, his uh-huh. age. The president said this, uh, addressing that issue earlier today. I'll tell you what. Someone said, you know, uh, that Biden, he's getting old, man. i tell you what. Well, guess what? Guess what? I can, You know, the only thing that comes today is a little bit of wisdom. I, 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 I've been doing this longer than anybody, and I guess what? I'm going to continue to do it with your help. Okay. Hey, you guys, the Democrats. Uh, the Democrats. <laughs> what do you think? Age that a discrimination. Yeah. It's age I'm talking discrimination. About Democrats. Oh, okay. yeah. No, you, you were the D.C. Democratic Party. Chairman. That's right. That's I, my was. Understanding. I was. When he was much younger. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> much thinner, too. But my views haven't changed. And let me tell you, when I say age discrimination or ageism with Biden, there are two things going on with his numbers. One, I don't believe the 46-46 poll. I I really don't. I can't believe that America compares Biden to Trump, who's facing 91 felony counts. I just don't believe it. But more importantly, with regard to Biden, the the things he's done legislatively, bipartisanship, right, there's a gap between what he's done and what America is feeling. And I think if you look at the economic numbers that have come out slowly but surely, inflation is yeah. coming down, employment is slightly going up on like this curve is what the economists want to see. Yeah. And I got to believe that by 2024, it's going to continue to get better with these policies. And America is going to begin to feel it because if they don't feel it and you're given the choice between Biden and Trump, whether yeah. he's in jail or not, um, that might be a toss-up. I don't know. Sorry, Chuck, I'm, I'm going to cop to remembering when Ronald Reagan made the age joke when he was running against mm-hmm. uh, Mondale. Mondale. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to hold Mondale's yeah. age against him because he was yeah. so young. Yes. So Biden he's appears to be trying to make a, a light of the fact that people believe, and a significant number of Americans do believe, if you judge the polls, uh, that he is too old for the job. You just can't walk away from your age. So he's doing the only thing he can do, which is talk about it. That that said, I think all of us probably agree that America is ready for a next generation leader. If the Republicans don't give the option of a next generation leader, then it sets up this contest where it's Biden versus Trump. And if you look at the economic desperation that people are feeling, that real feeling that there is rich men north of Richmond, if you have Mm. Biden sticking with unions when Teamsters is negotiating, and we're going to get to this $170,000 a year, there are going to be more people who are actually for that and if he explained what Bidenomics was, he might have a shot because, again, there's a lot of old men. In All right, we're place. going to get back to Bidenomics in a little <laughs> bit here. But meantime, President Biden visited Florida over the weekend where he surveyed damage from Hurricane Idalia. This was an opportunity to put politics aside. But Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was a no-show during the president's tour. President Biden addressed, governor, addressed the governor's absence when taking questions from reporters. No, I'm not disappointed. He may have had other reasons because, but he did help us plan this. He sat with FEMA and uh, and decided where we should go, where would be the least disruption. Okay, a quick note. The two did meet last year to discuss damage from Hurricane Ian. Uh, back to our panel. I'll start with Mick. 
Uh, what's changed between last year and this year with Ron DeSantis? I mean, it could be a bunch of things. It could be scheduling conflicts. It could be all of that. You sort of get the feeling it's not. It's politics. And I think uh, I'm not the only Republican who remembers what Chris Christie did there with Barack go. Obama back in 2012, I think it was, or we something were, like we that. We were arranging all that. Yeah. Um, you know, so romance. The silver lining I heard about all of this in hearing an interview from one of the disaster relief person on the ground, it didn't make a difference in terms of their ability to, to serve well, people. Well, sure. I mean, so but, you know, good. I'm going to ask uh, just it's really quickly. At the end of the day. Johanna, you were a lot of presidential advance for trips yeah. like this. Yeah, arranged um, all of them. Do you buy the, <laughs> you, you buy the excuse <laughs> that, yeah, that, uh, no, you know. look, he knew that the president was coming to town. He chose not to go. And he decided not to tell the president not to come, even though he could have said, publicly, do not come beforehand. He said after the fact, you know, it would take away too many resources. It does actually take away a ton of resources. It stresses the system. It relies on local security forces. And so even when they were pushing for him to go to Maui, I was thinking, do we really want him to take, you know, the resources away from a community? But the truth is, Everybody expects the president to go there, and in some cases, it can apply pressure to local. Yeah, and whether he's actually recovery efforts, you know, helping physically helping with the recovery, though, there's a there's a role to play for a president. I there think is. there was an insult to injury in, in Hawaii when he tried to show empathy and says, "Oh, I almost lost my Cadillac." You know, it, it, it came across as very tough. I think it was a Corvette. Corvette. Trump through. Pardon me. We may get to the East Palestine, Ohio example in the next segment, but there's a reason that presidents go or should go, and that is because no politician is actually there to help, you know, uh, repair things. It's the message that is sent to the other federal agencies and the workers. If the president takes the time to go someplace, that says it's on his agenda, it's on the table, he's paying attention to it, you need to double your efforts to it. If the president doesn't go someplace, it sends a message that maybe there's other things that are more important. Okay, I want to go to a a headline we have from The Hill, uh, our eponymous... (laughs) 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 White House seeks to go on offense... Uh, after difficult August, I'm, you know, uh, the president, you alluded to this, had some, you know, the no comment when he's asked about Maui. Uh, there are some other things that have happened. You know, they're talking about impeaching him, an impeachment inquiry. I'm not convinced that that's necessarily bad news for President Biden, if Republicans go forward with that. But, you know, the Bidenomics message does not seem to be getting traction. He's not, he, you know, despite wages being up, despite despite the unemployment rate being down, Regardless of whether that's an effective uh, economic barometer or not. Yeah, he's got to close that gap. And so when you when I hear or read they're going to go on the offensive, they got to put more resources and be more strategic about getting this message out. I don't believe that Bidenomics, Bidenomics is wrong to pressure, but you've got to do something to close that gap. Yeah. Because it's still a popularity contest, but when people are feeling uh, at the table that they can't afford food I'm a gas, big believer in the bully pulpit. If you say it enough times... People believe it because he's the president. We need to say it more then. Not on household issues. They'll believe it on other policy issues. Really? The stuff that they know, they know what they pay for gasoline. They know what they pay for food. There's no amount of bully pulpit that changes that. And there's a a key metric called the median CPI, which is the median uh, consumer price index. That is actually much higher than the top line, what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's actually much more painful, which is what people really feel. That's why people aren't buying the Bidenomics narrative. Okay. Coming up. The summer of strikes, it's not over yet as auto workers threaten to hit the picket line. How that's putting President Biden in a bind. Okay, first block on Labor Day. Welcome back. President Biden spent part of Labor Day meeting with union workers, sheet metal workers to be exact. He was in Philadelphia 
That's where he touted his Bidenomics economic plan and celebrated his investment in America's workers. And I'm proud to be the most pro-union president, according to the experts about in American history. And, I, and by the way, I make no bones about that. Folks, in this library, let me tell you what we're celebrating. We're celebrating jobs, good-paying jobs, jobs you can raise the family on, union jobs. Meanwhile, this Labor Day is arriving amid the quote-unquote summer of strikes. News Nation national correspondent Robert Sherman. He's live in Bay Harbor, Michigan with the details. Hey, Robert, how are you? Hey there, Mike. Yeah, I mean, we've been seeing this all around the country, industry to industry, sector to sector. Labor strike after labor strike has been hitting the economy. And if you're sitting at home feeling as though you've been seeing more of these of the last few months and years than before, well, you would be correct. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there's been a 50 percent increase in workers who have been participating in a large labor strike of more than 1,000 people. When you compare that from 2021 to 2022, But by comparison, only about 10.1% of Americans are actually members of unions. That is the lowest in recorded history. When you compare that to 1983, about half as many Americans percentage-wise are actually members of unions. So why are you seeing this? Why are you seeing fewer members of unions but more labor strikes? Well, the experts say there could be a multitude of reasons. Listen to this. One. Social media and the Internet has allowed employees and unions specifically to see how much money these companies are actually making because there's greater transparency because we're in the information age. Another thing that's happening fundamentally is that we just really got into this place, especially coming out of COVID, where it's a it's been a reset where people have sat back and they've really taken an accounting of their lives. In short, a lot of it just comes down to dollars and cents, especially when it comes to how inflation has been impacting some of these folks here. But you look at Hollywood, both writers and actors have gone on strike. Uh, You look also around the industries as well, such as American Airlines flight attendants say that they have voted to be in favor of a strike as well. And then you bring it back here to Michigan for a second. This is something that a lot of people here in this state are waiting for as to what will happen with the big three auto manufacturers. They have until September 14th to come to in a deal. That's when the contracts expire. A lot of people in the state are waiting to see what ends up happening. Mike. Robert Sherman, thank you very much. A fascinating story and a lot of political danger, economic danger in that UAW story. 150,000 workers potentially could walk out. I mean, that would cripple the economy and not to mention in a swing state. President Biden says he's the most pro-union president in history. Is he? Yes, and that UAW strike is not going to happen. It's too important to the the U.S. Whether it happens with Biden, without Biden, or in spite of Biden, they've got to get that deal done for the economy purposes. It's a presidential election year coming up in 2024. I think they get it done. Yeah, and the UAW has not endorsed yet. They're waiting to see how this goes and what Biden does. Well, they don't like his electric mandate. So the fact that he wants, I believe, 62% of cars being electric vehicle in the next 10 years, that is profoundly unrealistic. The GOP candidate who is telling the best story about this is Vivek Ramaswamy. He's the one who's sound of the clarion call. He started Strive Access Management. He's called out the hypocrisy right. of the, glee, the, the green climate uh, cult in many ways that, that puts irrational beliefs. And who is going to pay for these irrational beliefs? The American worker. It's the retraining and all exactly. of the, and the wages in the electric vehicle. And fewer jobs they, in the EV, they, EV and manufacturing. Yes, they want to make sure that they're keeping jobs. And one thing I'll say, I, Democrats have wondered, why aren't union voters 
voting for us. You know, every election we get their big endorsements and why don't they vote for us? Well, Biden is proving he's actually going to stand with the union workforce when they're striking. Right. And he has, to the extent UPS, and Teamsters, railway workers, $170,000 a year But you still got the issue where leadership... Bob, Bob leadership. Iger right now, though, the Hollywood writers are striking. Bob Iger is making 535 times the Disney median pay. You've got writers who can't feed your families. You know, if the Democrats actually did support labor like they have said that they could, then we could see pay inequities decreased. And that, I think, is Bidenomics working. Come back to the original question. I think FDR, who I'm pretty sure was Biden's roommate in college, was probably more, more pro-union. <laughs> Anti-public. Yeah, that's not yeah, that's that's really true. Well, that's what's allowed. As Robert reported, there are fewer and fewer, fewest union members than any time in the history of, of unions. So why is it so important? Why does he have to go? Come to back to what we talked about in the last segment, which is the election is going to turn on on the on the, the, the kitchen table issues, inflation and wages and so forth. Okay, remember when we had a difficulty with inflation a year, two years ago? It was the unions in Long Beach. Then we were worried about the unions at the railroads uh, going on strike. If we have more strikes and they lead to increased uh, inflation, it's not going to make any difference how pro-union Joe Biden is going to right. be. The rank-and-file members will vote for Trump just like they did in 2016 and 2020, even though the fact that the leadership will be pro-Democrat. Well, okay. and, the, and the fact not, of the matter is the electric, jobs, the electric jobs are not going to the U.S. That's the other problem. They're going to China. China is manufacturing the EVs. China is manufacturing the components for EVs. China, Biden refuses to allow the drilling here at home for the critical mineral. He refuses to allow leasing on federal land. You also have the Hanwha Korean uh, Q-cells, which are producing components that are completely bypassing federal law that pro uh, prohibits the use of Uyghur forced labor. Oh, yeah. Biden administration is looking the other way. And so all these jobs are going to be lost to China, to the Koreans, and they're going to be using okay. forced Uyghur labor. Right. They have uh, more that's, that's conjecture, though. Well, it's happening. It's not conjecture. It's happening there, right there, now. There, 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 there are a lot of joint ventures, uh, EV uh, battery building going on in Michigan, too, with the South yeah. We've got to move on. Ten days, <laughs> ten days for that strike deadline. We're going to keep an eye on that. Okay, coming up, the U.S. and China. Speaking of China, it is a shaky relationship, but both countries are talking, at least for now, why one expert says communication breakdowns could derail the U.S. economy. Since June, three of President Biden's cabinet members have made the trip to Beijing and Shanghai and other cities across China as part of the Biden administration's efforts to stabilize the U.S.'s worsening relationship with that country. Meanwhile, China's economy is being hit by a series of setbacks from a real estate crisis to a debt crisis to record joblessness. But Beijing says concerns about its economy are being inflated by Western critics. U.S. Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo was in China last week for four days and had this to say. The U.S. and China share one of the most significant economic relationships in the world. And it is profoundly important that we manage that relationship responsibly. Profoundly important for the Chinese economy, profoundly important for the United States economy, but frankly, profoundly important for the rest of the world. Okay, with us now is Christy Rogers. She's co-chair of the Women's Foreign Policy Group Board and a member of George Mason University's National Security Institute. 
Advisory Council. Ms. Rogers, thanks very much for joining us. Okay, we've had a parade of top cabinet officials, the Secretary of State, the Secretary of the Treasury, and now the Secretary of Commerce uh, have been uh, to China uh, to talk to the Chinese leadership. The ties between these two countries, uh, obviously very strong economically, politically, it may be another matter. And China says these concerns about this economic slowdown are overblown. What do you think? I'm hoping they're not overblown, uh, but not for the Chinese people, but for the Chinese Communist Party. Look, I, I do think the Biden administration needs to um, engage in dialogue with the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, I'm just hoping it's not a little bit too late. We have not taken seriously for the past two decades China's continued push in the world. Uh, China's continued push right here at home. And what I mean by that is they have had a very disciplined strategy long term and they're they're implementing it. And it is it is um, I hate to use this word, but it is almost like locusts. They are going to countries with the whole sense and purpose is to gain their natural resources, gain access and gain control. And that's what they need to sustain their economy and sustain their people. And as of right now, they are controlling the vast majority of the supply chains for critical minerals that go into every critical technology that not only our military needs, but our automotive industry needs and advanced manufacturing needs. This is a huge concern because China at any moment could cut the spigot off of supply for everything from batteries to EV materials to some of our, our, our medical equipment. Okay, but why would they do that? I mean, our economies are linked inextricably, right? You talk about the supply chain. Uh, it's been well documented, some of the problems over the course of the last three years that have led to economic problems and the ripple effect in this country. But if you look at the top uh, purchases of U.S. exports in 2022, or the top U.S. trading partners, I should say, uh, Canada is number one, Mexico number three, and China number uh, number, Mexico, number two, China, number three, at one hundred and fifty billion dollars. So wouldn't isn't this a lose lose for both countries to have relations deteriorate uh, as they seem to be on a course for doing? It's it's the, like the old Cold War, mutually assured destruction. Right. I yeah. mean, there's an element of truth to that. Uh, but China just put an export ban on two critical minerals. Um, it has not gotten a ton of press, and I think it's gallium and germanium, if I'm saying those correctly. But those two critical minerals are extremely important for some of our military technologies. And it, some folks are like, well, they're just testing the waters. It's a flick in our forehead. No, they knew exactly what they were doing. And they did this to Japan 10 years ago. Um, I think China is trying to leverage their testing to see how far they can go. Uh, to further control their, their access. And they want to determine our behavior. They actually want to, and you saw from the summit last week with the BRICS nation, Brazil, Russia, India, China, they want to push the U.S. dollar off the global stage. What does that mean to, you know, to my parents sitting home in Michigan? That means that every single solitary interest rate for home mortgage, for inflation is just going to go through the roof. It is a very serious issue. Yes, there is some uh, credibility to a mutually assured destruction, but I don't like that scenario. I think we need to yeah. be a little bit smarter on both sides of the aisle, quite frankly. Okay. Well, very concerning, and as you put it, a very serious situation here, and it doesn't show any signs of easing anytime soon. Christy Rogers, 
Thanks very much for joining us on this Labor Day. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Okay, Mick Melvaney. That's easy for you to say. (laughs) Even on Labor Day. Yes, Susan, what can I do for you? You know your name. Yes. We're we're talking about the the inextricable links, at least the cabinet secretaries, a parade of them going to China. Yeah. Because these two economies are tied so closely together. So wouldn't it be, I asked uh, Ms. Rogers the same thing, a lose-lose for to have an economic war with China? Sure, and that was the whole idea of why we opened up in the first place, was that if you trade with people you supposedly don't go right. to war with, and there was a famous thing about no two countries that both have McDonald's have ever gone to war with each other. I remember and that, that. That changed with Ukraine and Russia. But look, I, I'm looking at sort of the broader picture of what happened this week, which is President Xi announced he's not going to the G20. Uh-huh. That's a big deal. That's a major snub. Keep in mind, this is one of those opportunities for the presidents and leaders of nations to sit down face-to-face in a small room with a small group of people with no cameras and just talk. It's a huge snub to the United States, mostly for she not to be there. He went to the BRICS conference yeah. a couple weeks back. He's not going to this. That is a problem. To be fair, those summits are often so many people that rarely do you have like an actual authentic conversation. And with the Chinese, they don't have authentic conversations, right? It's all scripted when you're sitting across with them having 20 different people. Yeah, there's still, there's still some value, though, I think, Johanna, to, to sit down and talk to somebody. You're right. They're big and there's not. But the president of the United States, the president of China, can have as much time as they want. Well, I think what I find interesting to watch, like Mike Gallagher, Mike Gallagher is is trying to make it so that Congress has bipartisan agreement, so that regardless of the president, we have a path okay, on China. Okay, Carrie, I'm sorry, we got to go. Coming up, the military's recruiting crisis. Almost every branch is falling short of their recruiting goals. But a Marine veteran has a controversial idea, one that hasn't been used in 50 years. We'll talk about that next. Decades of UFO records kept secret in the National Archives. Until now, News Nation correspondent Evan Lambert gets an exclusive inside look at the historical documents and photos. And just how close are we to it all becoming public? Tuesday on Elizabeth Vargas Report. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Ready to boost your metabolic and digestive health and have your best fall yet? Reset with Saqqara's science-backed plant-rich nutrition programs and wellness essentials that are nutritionally designed to ease bloat, enhance energy, and optimize your total well-being. Enjoy 20% off your first order when you go to sakaracom slash radio or enter code radio at checkout. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash radio. Now's the time to feel it for yourself. A healthy life starts with great sleep. Wake refreshed with Avocado's GOTS certified organic green mattress. Delivering breathable, back-loving support. Natural materials from Avocado's own sustainable wool and latex farms. Easy financing, a one-year sleep trial, and deep, restorative slumbers. Organic sleep awaits at avocadomattress.com. Between getting the kids up and ready for the day, picking them up from school, helping with homework, life feels like it won't stop. 
Sometimes all you want is to stop and enjoy a peaceful moment with your family or even just by yourself. Solo Stove Fire Pits are the simplest way to relax around a crackling fire without all the smoke other fire pits make. With Solo Stove, it's never been easier to gather around the fire. Shop solostove.com for big discounts during the Labor Day sale. And now for my next trick. I will combine the strength of hefty, ultra-strong trash bags with the joyfully clean scent of Fabuloso! Wow! Smells like rainbows and unicorns! Hefty, hefty, hefty! Well, that turned out better than when I tried to split my assistant in half. New hefty, ultra-strong trash bags with Fabuloso scent. So strong, so joyful, it must be magic. Get in on the upcoming NFL action with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can bet just $5 and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code IHEART. That's code IHEART, only on DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Virginia only. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call the Virginia Problem Gambling Helpline at 888-532-3500. Thanks for listening to News Nation on the Go. I'm Elizabeth Vargas, and this is America's source for engaging and unbiased news. Ashley Banfield and Chris Cuomo on America's fastest growing cable news network, News Nation. The viewer seems to have been lost in the shuffle of cable news lately. They don't want a team sport, they want the full picture. The appetite is greater than it has ever been for perspective, for understanding, and for information that they can not just trust, but use. See why more people are turning to News Nation, news for all America. To find News Nation on your screen, go to joinnn.com. Did you know that the month of September celebrates National Virginia Day? Well, when you can expect new online instant games from the Virginia Lottery every second and fourth Tuesday of the month, it's hard not to appreciate Virginia that much more. Visit valottery.com slash Tuesday. Serving in Afghanistan, I was shot in the head by sniper fire. I was given a 5% chance to live. I'm Adam Alexander, and I'm a veteran. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I tell kids that with a little help and a lot of work, that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year. My victory is being there for the next generation. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Short of recruiting goals this year. But Joe Plensler, a former Marine combat veteran and advisor to three Marine commandants, has a plan to fix it. He calls it a hybrid model of a volunteer force and a limited draft to meet military needs, an idea Plensler has laid out in a recent opinion piece. This country has not had a draft, meaning mandatory military service, in 50 years since the end of the Vietnam War. Joe Plensler joins us now. And Joe, it's a radical proposal. It's going to be a tough sell to most Americans. You're talking about mandatory service for young people, presumably young people, to serve in the military. Why is such a dramatic step necessary now? Ultimately, I think it's because the needs of our national security staffing have to be met. I mean, if we enjoy living in a free country and enjoy the liberties that we do have here as Americans, then we all should be willing to support that effort in some way, shape or form. And if uh, our military recruiters can't recruit enough people to fill the ranks to meet the need, then uh, there's no reason that the state shouldn't step in to compel that service. 
I'm going to get back to why those recruiters are having such a problem in a minute here. But first, I'm going to show you a graph. American confidence in the military is at 60 percent, still relatively high, but down mm-hmm. from recent years, 2010 being the high watermark. So would forced conscription turn people off or divide people? Uh, again, it's going to be a tough sell to get people to go along with this after 50 years. Yeah, I think that remains to be seen. I think one thing that's different historically, if you want to look at at uh, data, is that we've had conscription for the bulk of our history. You know, we'd had it yeah. in the Revolutionary War. We had it in World War One and World War Two. In fact, I'd like to dispel a myth. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, when World War Two kicked off, you know, hundreds of thousands of Americans just spontaneously came forward to serve to fight the Japanese and the Germans when over 62 or about 62 percent were conscripted. So really what I'm asking Americans to consider is going back to the way things were prior to uh, the post 9-11 wars. And I think, you know, when you look at um, the way things are today, one of the reasons we did have 20 years of war and why, you know, Americans are a little bit exhausted from that is because that we haven't had a draft and we haven't had a war tax to fund it. So really, you know, we deferred the cost of this onto a very few number of Americans and we pushed the cost of the war off onto our kids and our grandkids one of the reasons yeah. we have inflation today is because it costs us about $8 trillion. Yeah. I, I want to read a quote from the piece that you wrote, and I believe it was in military.com. You say, a military warrior cast, a warrior cast, interesting phrase, that now appears more like a multi-generational family business than an yeah. organization that represents the true makeup of our democratic republic. Okay, warrior cast, that phrase really caught my eye. Uh, mm-hmm. Back in the draft, and I'm old enough to remember the draft, you could, get a, you could get a college deferment, you could get a medical deferment, you could get all kinds of different deferments to stay out of the draft during Vietnam. And a lot of people criticized the draft as being, it, you know, people that were not in college, uh, lower, people on the lower end of the economic spectrum, lower end, end of the educational spectrum, were the people getting drafted. So there was, in fact, a caste system before. How would you address that in your system? Yeah, I think today, you know, if you're the one half of one percent of Americans are qualified to serve by today's standards, I think a couple of things. One, I don't think there should be deferments. I think that if we're all citizens and we each have one vote in the say of our republic, we all ought to be equally uh, subject to military service. And I think, you know, abilities uh, withstanding. Right. So if somebody, you know, has significant mental or physical um, concerns, then we need to account for those. But every qualified American should be. Uh, subject to it. Rich, poor, young, old, doesn't matter, right? You know, I think if it, if it comes down to it and the necessities there, then we all should serve. Okay, Joe Plensler, a fascinating, if not controversial proposal. We thank you for your time on this Labor Day. Hope you're having a nice day. Thanks so much. Okay, yeah, controversial, to say the least, panel, uh, instituting a draft. Something tells me it's not uh, really realistic in today's climate, but what mm. do you think of the idea? I, mean, I would go further. I actually believe I believe in a service requirement in this country. I think that if we all had to do a year of Teach for America, Military, AmeriCorps, Peace Corps, some sort of service, we would be more bought in. We would have some equalization because right now, even in our public schools, we don't have every kid in one setting. So I actually think that we should do more. But I will go back to we still don't have an equal rights amendment in this country, which is why women currently do not sign up for the selective service. The whole reason why that we didn't have an equal rights amendment is because they said okay. that women would have to sign up for right, the draft. Well, and well, well, now they're considering well, making women sign up without equal rights in this country. I, which there's is a, a startling statistic <laughs> that I want to get to here. We can talk about it. The elephant in the room here, military eligibility. Yeah. According to the Council for a Strong American, 77% of youth ages 17 to 24 cannot qualify for military service okay. because either they're out of shape 
or they can't pass the acad- uh, epid- academic I'll offer a friendly amendment to your, comment, <laughs> yeah. to, to your comment. This is the real issue. That's 77% right there. Yeah. And so the military has got to link up with public schools as well as private schools, in my opinion, and develop a curriculum that will be a base minimum requirement so that number, 77%, can go down versus continue to increase. And that's very doable you could have a limited draft if you want. You could have the one-year service. I'm not against that. But that the problem is that 77%, and you got to fix that first. Okay. I, I love the service idea. I complete, We're in bipartisan agreement on this. Absolutely. Right, you're going to sponsor the, some legislation. Yes, yeah. let's do it. Well, I, but I think the bigger problem, and again, Vivek Ramaswamy talks about this over and over on the campaign trail, is that we are teaching children to hate America. Look at the CRT doc- doctrine. Look at 1619 Project. Teaching people that you should hate your country, that it's, that it's hopelessly racist, that it was that's built not true. and founded. That's, no, the 1619 Project is... Not, is it was the, 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 the 1619... I have a kid in public school. are so afraid of telling the truth no, about no, the history the of this country. The 1619 Project explicitly teaches... Teaching my kids that slavery was wrong and that systemic racism still exists in this country is not teaching people or kids to hate America. It's teaching them the truth in America. Yeah, and you cannot run from that. The 1619 Project Frederick teaches Douglas, that America like. was founded to preserve slavery. That's a lie. It was, no, a, big it. It. It was a big no, part we were, of it. We, not uh, the founding, no, in fact, Thomas but the Jefferson wanted to get rid Black of and brown it, people built this country. You can't run from the reality of history. Absolutely, we okay. should teach history, but so we shouldn't teach the whole history. history. Yeah. No, but I'm back to military. The truth is that these actual issues, a lot of things get polarized with these talking points and the truth is we are all americans we love america we want it to be better that is why we have the right to criticize america exactly. that is okay. exactly what we need to be focused on is controversial topic for sure i'm in a more perfect yeah, I, I, union I'm gonna, okay we're gonna move union. on here because we're running out of time we got a lot to get to <laughs> elizabeth vargas reports is minutes away tonight kelly beeson will be filling in for elizabeth she'll be speaking with the the She'll be speaking with the Michigan police officer whose heroic actions saved the life of a non-breathing child during a traffic stop. You can catch that at 6 p.m. Eastern right here on News Nation. And coming up, The Hill remembers two influential Americans. Okay, before we leave, we remember two legends who passed away on Friday. First, let's talk about former U.N. Ambassador and New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson, who was on our air two months ago. He passed away in his sleep at the age of 75. Uh, Scott, I know you have some thoughts about the former ambassador. He was a governor, ambassador, U.N. ambassador, and And member of of Congress. On the the international scene, bringing home freelance and hostage negotiations. Absolutely. Um, Bill Richardson, uh, me, a state party chair, had a chance to sit with him and have dinner a number of times, uh, as well as through bar events. And he loved New Mexico. Uh, Democrats, Republicans, and foreign leaders, whatever their genre were, whatever their politics were, loved Bill Richardson because he was a swell human being. And I think today's political discourse, as crazy as it is, uh, Bill would do well. And our elected officials would do well to model their politics after his. He was just an incredible leader and a humble public servant. All right. Thank you, Scott. Then there's legendary singer and songwriter, the mayor of Margaritaville, Jimmy Buffett, who passed after a bout with a rare skin cancer. Buffett was 76 years old. And Mick, 
Uh, I understand you spend a lot of time in a place that has a very strong Buffett vibe. <laughs> I, I, I do. I have a, we spent a good bit of time in Key West. I got married there. I'd live there if my wife would let me, but she won't, um, which is the original Margaritaville. Um, is that right? Yeah, my guess is it is going to be 30 days of mourning on that uh, island. He yeah. was the favorite uh, son. I've seen him give concerts down there. It was uh, sort of his vibe. That's where he discovered his sound, and, uh, and uh, we, he will be badly missed in Key West. That's certainly a legend, both of those gentlemen passing over the weekend. So thanks for watching The Hill on News Nation. We'll be back tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern. Elizabeth Vargas Report starts right now with Kelly Beeson filling in for Elizabeth.